Good morning, Grace. Open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. I want to pray. Lord, what we just sang, that's our prayer as we open up your word. God, would you reveal your glory to us through the preaching of your word. Lord, I'm very aware I am a broken vessel. I'm a sinful person forgiven by Christ, Lord. And uh, I only have help for us here today as I make your word clear. So Lord, I pray your spirit would make your word clear through my lips. Give us ears to hear like we just prayed. Show us Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, if you weren't with us a few weeks ago, uh, we began our Proverbs series like we do all of our book series with, with a reading service. And we read through the opening nine chapters of Proverbs, which are these discourses, mostly from a father to the son, or sometimes, as in our passage this morning, wisdom speaking directly uh, for themselves. But I was struck during our reading service, uh, one, for one thing, by how often the father repeats himself. He keeps coming back to some of the very same things, the very same urgent exhortations to the son. And we might get to some of the later chapters and think, I think the father's already said this, but he's repeating himself. And as a dad, I can completely relate. I find myself saying many of the same things over and over and over in, my, in our house. Some are sentences I never thought I would put together. Like, stop sniffing your brother's head. That's not, that doesn't tip the hand. That could be any one of our three kids. We have three kids. There's two brothers in the family. Anyone could be sniffing a brother's head. Um, the one lately that I've found myself saying is, I'm not Google. I'll be driving around the car and I'll be peppered with, you know, a barrage of questions about all the minutia of the Star Wars universe. And I'll just say, boys, I'm not Google. You got to Google that. Go get your Chromebook. I repeat a lot more of the just run-of-the-mill dad things. I, I checked, uh, I actually pulled my kids at the dinner table a couple of nights ago while Sarah Kelly was over for dinner to see if uh, I had the right list, and I think they checked every one of these. I frequently say, close the garage door when you come in. It's hot out there. We got our air running inside. Who keeps leaving these lights on? Stop stomping on the stairs. We have hardwood stairs, not carpet on them, and it's just like thunder every time. But the one I probably say more than any other repeated thing is a form of this question. Did you hear what I just said? <laughs> Weren't you listening? I feel like I've said this a hundred times. How many times do I have to ask or how many times do I have to tell you? And I wanna confess here, very often as those words are coming out of my mouth to one of my children, I'm painfully aware of the hypocrisy. <laughs> and I can imagine how frequently God is saying essentially the same question to me. Kenny, didn't you hear what I've said? Don't you understand what you just read, what you just heard on Sunday? Weren't you listening? How many times do I have to ask you or remind you or tell you? We need the book of Proverbs because we need a father who will repeat himself. Because we're hard-headed, aren't we? We're hard of hearing. Sin makes us hard of hearing. Sin makes us stiff-necked and stubborn and resistant. It makes us reluctant to yield to God's wise counsel. We need God to repeat himself because we're easily distracted. I am. 
We're quickly self-absorbed, navel-gazing sort of people. We're proud and forgetful by nature. We need a, a father who repeats himself. Like Eric said a few weeks ago, we don't boot up wise. And so in today's passages, we're going to see wisdom speaks for herself. The father steps aside, so to speak, in this section and allows wisdom to be personified and speak for herself as a, as a beautiful woman with the hopes that the son will be attracted to her be the, the beauty of wisdom. And we need to realize when we hear the Bible personify wisdom, that's a signal to us that God is speaking. So the woman wisdom speaks, but we need to understand God is speaking directly to us, our wise father to the, to the true son, like we just sang in that hymn. We need to listen. So let's read Proverbs chapter one, starting in verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. I love that I'm reading this and we can hear Mike's drive through speaker happening at the same time. We're getting a little bit of the busy marketplace right here. Hold on. All right, I want to read the rest of this passage. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I've called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you've ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel, despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat of the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Do you notice wisdom's volume? Look at the first two verses. I promise I'm not going to preach in this thing the whole time. Look at those first two verses. Notice wisdom's volume. It's very clear. She cries loudly. She raises her voice. Wisdom wants to make herself heard. Wisdom is not um, hidden. Notice where she is. She's in the street. She's in the markets. 
She's at the head of the noisy streets. In fact, she positions herself at the entrance of the city gates. She puts herself somewhere where she can't be ignored and everyone coming in and coming out has to hear her words. Wisdom is not presented to us in Proverbs like this secret little hidden gem that we have to seek out and discover. She pursues the simple. She goes out after scoffers even and mockers and those who hate knowledge, just like Jesus, the son of man, came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came on mission. And as we hear wisdom here, she's like a street preacher like a street preacher with a bullhorn in the open marketplace, refusing to be ignored, interrupting fools in their foolish lives and pleading with them. And as we see what wisdom has to say, she cries aloud three things. She, war she pleads, first of all, as she, she goes to the, the fools who are going about their day, she first pleads with them, we'll see, and then she warns them very strongly. But in the end, she extends a promise. She promises them something better than the warning. So let's look at how this passage lays out. First of all, she pleads in verses 22 and 23. And there's two pleas in here that she's just begging fools to listen to her. And the first plea is this, how long? How long? I was struck. We were in the Psalms at the end of this summer, and, and we were actually in a number of Psalms of lament. And usually in the Psalms, more frequently, we are posing that question to God, right? Oh, God, how long will the wicked prosper? How long will evil people um, seem to win and come out on top? Or how long will I be in this pit, Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? And when we're doing that, we're lamenting, we're grieving something. And here, wisdom on behalf of God is grieving something. God laments our foolishness. He grieves over it. His heart is broken at our stubborn resistance and refusal to listen to his wisdom. There seems to be a spectrum of fools here. He's asking how long. Notice he says, how long you simple will you love being simple? These are probably um, maybe the most teachable fools. Maybe the simple are just the naive, those who are distracted and just happy to go about life, not asking big questions that we ought to consider, but just happy going about the day-to-day, -day, one thing at a time as life presents it. But he also says how long, or she says how long, to scoffers who delight in their scoffing. Maybe this is the most hardened fool, proud, arrogant, actually saying something back to wisdom as she cries in the streets, saying, you don't know what you're talking about, laughing at her, pointing. Do you hear what she said? And then there's just this generic term, fools, people who hate knowledge. That's who God grieves over. And let's not assume these are all unbelievers. I was struck, the, Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but it doesn't say it's the end of foolishness, does it? <laughs> it's just the beginning of getting wisdom. Every believer, me, you, is a recovering fool, slowly growing out of our foolishness and growing into wisdom. Very slowly at times. 
At times, we are still, even as Christians, the simple who love being simple, aren't we? At times, we can still, as Christians, hate knowledge, particularly when God's wisdom calls us in directions that we just don't want to go, calls us to love people we just don't want to love, reproves us and says we should turn away from things that we don't want to leave behind or let go. And God cares about all these fools. He grieves over every last one of them. Like Mr. T, he pities the fool. Thank you, Jason Oaks. <laughs> that was just, I knew you'd get, you'd laugh at that. He pities fools, though. He really does. In fact, you know what? I actually went and looked it up because I'm nerdy like that. And I found a place where Mr. T was actually saying, that's why he says it, because the Bible says it. God pities fools. His heart grieves over our foolishness. And I was struck this week, the Bible from beginning to end is filled with God lamenting our stubborn, willful, sinful foolishness and pleading with him. J just think way back to Israel in Egypt as slaves and God sends Moses and, and he delivers them with the plagues and he brings them out. And from the very beginning, he's had, having to plead with them and lament their foolishness. Listen to Exodus 16. To Moses and the people in the wilderness, he says, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my law? They spend some more time in the wilderness. In Numbers 14, 11, God says to Moses, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs I've done among them? That's not the end of it for Israel. God brings them into the land. He establishes them as a nation and he even gives them kings like Solomon. And in one generation, God sends a pleading prophet, Elijah, who says to God's people on Mount Carmel, how long will you keep limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, then follow him. And they're not the only generation in Israel. They're not the, under the only king in Israel who refuses to listen. Isaiah 65 God says, I was ready to be sought by those who didn't ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who didn't seek me. He's, 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 he's talking about coming to the end of his patience with his people who, with whom he pleads. And he says, he says um, I said, here I am. Here I am to a nation that wasn't called by my name. I spread out my hands all day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that's not good, following their own devices a people who provoke me to my face continually. That image, provoking, is like when that little brother or sister just knows what's gonna get their older brother or sister ticked off and they just keep poking and poking and doing it until they finally get a rise. And God's saying, my people provoke me to my face daily, continually. But he grieves over this. Psalm 81, 13, God laments a psalm of God lamenting. Oh, that my people would listen to me and that Israel would walk in my ways. God laments our foolishness. And then when Jesus finally comes, the father is sending his final pleading prophet, who's more than a prophet. He's not just another prophet. He is God the son speaking for himself, first person, 
And Jesus comes pleading for years of his ministry, repent, turn from your sin, the kingdom of God is at hand. And he gets to the end of his ministry and he's about to go to the cross and he looks over Jerusalem and he grieves and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. And Jesus still hasn't stopped pleading. Through his church, he continues around the world with his word by the power of his spirit to plead with a foolish world. He's pleading with us this morning through this passage. God is saying to you this morning, Grace, what foolishness in your life is God saying how long about? Maybe for some of you, maybe for some of you watching on our live stream, it's total rejection of him. It's complete foolishness. It's a complete life resisting and rejecting and plugging your ears that there's a God who created you who knows best against whom, who you have been provoking continually all of your life. Maybe you have yet to feel the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of knowledge. And even this morning, you're running things your way. You got this. You're calling your shots and you're the center of your own life. And this morning, God's saying, how long? How long are you going to do that? Maybe even this morning, you would admit that you're beginning to feel, you're beginning to see the holes in the bottom of the well you dug out for yourself that aren't holding water. And this morning, you're going to finally listen to God saying, how long? But for many of us, you fear the Lord. You've turned to Christ. You've trusted in him. But in areas of our life, we struggle to keep ignoring his counsel. And God this morning is saying to you, how long? How long are you going to keep up with that? How long are you going to, 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 to not walk away from this? He has something better for us if we would listen. So his second plea is this. Look at verse 23. After grieving our foolishness, here's his second plea. He pleads with us, turn. If you turn at my reproof, if you repent of your foolishness, if you admit you're a fool and you turn, turn to me and begin to perk up your ears and listen, which means more than just here, it means if you leave your foolish ways behind. What's the promise? Well, if you turn... I will pour out my spirit to you and I will make my words known to you. I'm amazed here at how little, in a sense, that God asks of us as fools in our foolishness. He just says, if you will just turn, you hear my voice, if you'll finally, if you'll just turn to me, he's coming in with help. He knows how deeply foolish we are, how stubborn we can be. We need his spirit to make his words known to us. And that's what he promises to us. If we'll turn, he's right there and he is gonna pour his spirit, the spirit of wisdom out on us and help lead us into wisdom. Wisdom's offer here in verse 23 sounds a lot like Ezekiel's promise in chapter 36 of Ezekiel where he says in this new covenant God's gonna make, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I'll put within you and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes. I will help you, right? 
I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. If we'll just admit our foolishness and turn, he's ready to help us. His spirit can help do, as Mindy was saying, what we cannot in ourselves. So I just want us to pause here for a minute. What foolishness is God calling you to turn from this morning? What foolishness is God saying, I'll help you. Turn to me. I want to help you leave these behind. Is it prideful arrogance? Maybe a prideful arrogance that people don't see in you face to face, but your social media persona makes it very clear. You're a social media warrior and you'll say things in ways that you would never speak to a person's face. And God's saying, how long? Let's leave that. Maybe God is saying how long to bitterness and anger that you are feeding in your heart toward your housemate that just drives you crazy or toward your boss or your spouse. Maybe God's saying how long this morning to your stubborn unforgiveness toward a parent maybe. Some of you kids right here this morning, junior high, high school, this morning, you might just be stewing in your heart. Your parents are so dumb. They don't know what they're talking about. You know better. And you, or maybe your parents have done something or said something and you're struggling to, to forgive. And God's saying, how long? Turn, I'll help you with that. Maybe it's greedy materialism. You are just on a daily basis to get that dollar, to get that vacation. You're just living from thing to thing to thing that will make you happier. And God's saying, how long? Turn, turn to me. I'll help you. I'll, I'll give you something much more valuable to long for and to, and to hunger for. Maybe it's selfish ambition. Maybe it's self-righteous judgmentalism, just a critical spirit. You look around and no one gets it like you get it. You see the right way to do everything, the right way for the church to be, the right way for Christians to be. From where you're sitting, everyone else is doing it wrong and that makes you feel good about yourself. And God's saying, how long? How long are you not gonna turn the mirror around and see yourself and then let me help you leave that spirit behind? I could keep going, right? How long will you be a slanderer and persist in gossip? How long will you be lazy? just wasting this gift of life I've given you? How long will you be a glutton? That's what Proverbs are saying to us. How long? Turn, I'll help you here. He pleads with us. I'll help you leave these behind. But then the, the, the passage gets pretty sober and he gets to a warning. She, that is, the wisdom warns in verses 24 to 32. Look at the first warning. Her first warning essentially is this. This offer is for a limited time only. The offer of verse 23, turn at my reproof. I'll pour out my spirit. I'll make my words known for you. We get to verse 24 through uh, 28 and the warning is that offer is for a limited time only. Look at the reversal between verse 24 and 28. In verse 24, wisdom says, because I have called you and you have refused to listen to me, verse 28, on the day when you come calling for me, I will not answer. Now that might sound like wisdom is contradicting herself. Which is it? If, if I turn to my reproof, you'll come help me? Or if I 
If I call out to you, you're gonna ignore me. Well, it's not a contradiction. All it's saying is that offer in verse 23 is for a limited time. Notice the shift in the past tense here in what wisdom begins saying, starting in verse 24. Wisdom suddenly is saying, because I've called to you and, re- and you refused to listen, etc." This is what wisdom will say on the day when the fool's folly comes raining down on his or her head in calamity. On that day, this is what wisdom will say. It will be too late to get wisdom. Now, I want us to, as I've been thinking about this, I want us to see here and then throughout the rest of these chapters of Proverbs, I think this is at work. There's sort of two levels on which this is true. Calamity with a small C and then calamity with a capital C. Here's what I mean. Calamity with a small C, I think we can experience the truth here of this warning this limited time offer in more temporary ways when we live foolishly in one way or another and we suddenly come to face the natural consequences of our foolishness. Let me give you an example. Proverbs 6.10 says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So the rule of thumb is that you sow a lifestyle of laziness and apathy and procrastination. And eventually, poverty is gonna hit you like you you weren't expecting it. And on that day, suddenly saying, okay, okay, I want wisdom, isn't gonna suddenly reverse or help you avoid the consequences of poverty, right? Poverty's still gonna be there, but graciously, God often uses these small C calamities in our life to wake us up, take us back to verse 23 and say, okay, if you turn at my reproof, I'll pour out my spirit on you and I'll make my words known to you. All right, let's, let's walk, let's leave laziness behind. So this operates on a smaller sort of scale where, where there's not a finality to the great uh, wisdom's offer being um, over. Does that make sense? But there is a tone and, and, and a severity to these words in, in, chapter, in verses 24 through 32 that sound more extreme and final than this, which is, I think, also pointing us to calamity with a capital C, which I think is the consequence of living a life characterized by rejecting God's pleading to the very end. Notice, despite wisdom's calling and stretching out her hands, these are people who have ignored all her counsel, all of it, and who would have none of her reproof, none of it. It's complete rejection. And the corresponding calamity that wisdom describes is pretty, pretty extreme, right? Terror striking and distress and anguish. This is judgment day sort of language. The last thing Jesus preached in his Sermon on the Mount, at least as Matthew records, it was this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them uh, will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Twice in Proverbs, we're told that there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. It's the way to death. When calamity with a capital C comes, when we stand as fools who have stiff-armed our good, gracious, wise God to the very end, God will then say to us, he will not be found. My offer is over. That's the sober warning of the gospel call. 
There will come a day when God finally judges. And that judgment can either have fallen on Christ at the cross or you will face it yourself. Which leads to the second warning. Look at verses 29 through 32. The second warning is, on that day you will reap what you've sown. It says, they shall eat the fruit of their way and they'll have their fill of their own devices. I was reminded, C.S. Lewis in his little book, The Great Divorce, famously wrote, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. That's what it means. They will eat the fruit of their way. They will have their fill of their own devices. They wanted a life, a God-free life. They can have it. Thankfully, that's not the last word that wisdom has here in our passage. There's one last verse here left. Verse 33, and it ends again on a promise. And here's the promise. The promise is, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. That word whoever is a beautiful word. It means that there is no one outside of this promise who cannot take advantage of this offer. Whoever means this is available to everyone, every fool on the spectrum can listen and enter into the promised blessing of this offer. But there's a condition. It's whoever listens to me. Whoever listens to me, which in this passage means heeds what I say and doesn't just hear me. Now, I want us to think for a minute. In the immediate context of, of the book of Proverbs and the nation of Israel and Solomon, as he's writing these words and he's speaking them to his son, the next king of Israel, who will pass these words of wisdom down to his son, who will be the next king of Israel. In this context, this promise, verse 33, was saying, young king, if you will fear the Lord and you will walk faithfully according to God's covenant he's made, if you will walk in wisdom and listen to me, walk closely, be intimate with me, I will bless you as a king and your rule and the nation will be blessed because of you and Israel will be safe and secure from all of her enemies, king, if you walk faithfully. But as we know, many of us, if you know the story of the Old Testament, king after king with rare exception, just turned away, turned away, utterly failed to walk with wisdom. And as a result, the nation that they led at the time, in, in their generation fell as well. And eventually that offer was pulled off the table and God judged Israel and sent them into exile, kicked them out of the land, kicked them out of Jerusalem. And the curtain closes on the Old Testament with this question, Will we ever see a young son and king who listens to the father and leads his people in righteousness and wisdom? Which is why I think when we get to Gospel of Luke in chapter two of Luke and we see this young boy Jesus and he's at the temple and he's so preoccupied at the temple that he doesn't even realize his parents left. And they come find him worried and he's sitting among the teachers listening and asking questions. But it says all who heard him, this boy Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Our ears should perk up. 
when his mother Mary says how worried she'd been and he says, well, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Our ears should perk up. And then when Luke writes, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men, we're supposed to see it's a signal. Finally, a true wise son and king is here. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, this secret hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory was about to be revealed in Jesus. The secret was this, Christ crucified. God's wisdom was to redeem fools by sending his son to live the life of perfect wisdom and obedient and as the rightful king to lay his life down for those who have failed to walk in wisdom. To give his life as a ransom. 2 Corinthians 5.19 In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In other words, not counting our foolish, stubborn resistance against us. Why? Because God, for our sake, he made him who, uh, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or in the language of Proverbs 1, Jesus came and reaped what our foolishness had sown as he hung on the cross. So that then he could offer for us to reap what he had sown in his sinless, perfect, obedient, wise life to his very last breath. Is that amazing news to you this morning? Are you hearing that this morning for the first time and that, that's blowing your mind? You feel like, I've never heard this before. I've never understand this is how God feels about my foolishness, how much he loves me and what he's done to rescue me from it. There's a verse in the book of Hebrews that, that pleads with people who are sitting right where you're sitting and it says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't just go about your business turn. Perk up your ears. Listen to his reproof. Admit that you are the fool he says you are, but also admit you're the fool he says he loves and turn to him. I implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. All it means is praying something like this, God, I'm a fool. I admit it. I've been, I've been, I've been uh, denying it for a long time, but this morning I can't hide it before you. I'm a fool and I've uh, I've been stubborn. I've thumbed my nose at you for my life and I want to stop. Lord, help me. Forgive my sin in Jesus' name. Forgive me because Jesus paid for it and enter into my life. Pour out your spirit on me. Make your words known to me so that I might walk in new life. If you prayed this this morning and you are here with us, I want to meet you under that tree on our lawn after our service this morning. Please come find me or any one of our prayer team or any elders who are around. But this is why wisdom can promise whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster, without dread of calamity with a capital C. The promise isn't that we won't suffer. The promise isn't that if we are believers that we'll never face trials, that no disasters will come into our life. Remember Jesus' parable, the guy who built his house on the rock, guy who built his house on the sand, storms fell and hit both of them. The question is, the one, who the one that remained, and it was the one whose foundation was built on Christ and listening to his words and, and trusting him. I want to add one last word of exhortation. I know we're at the end of our time here, but I was struck yesterday morning talking with Kip Doctorman, but uh, 
I was reminded that if you've been reconciled to God through Christ, you also have been given a ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5.20, sandwiched in between what I just read a moment ago about Christ becoming sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Sandwiched in there, Paul says this, God has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation, the message that Christ made peace with the God we've spurned. Therefore, we, church, are ambassadors for Christ, and God intends to make his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When you turned from God's reproof and he poured his spirit out on you, he also handed you a bullhorn. Not to be loud and obnoxious and a clanging cymbal and strident, but to be bold and clear and earnest. And so this morning as we finish, I want to ask you, unless you have sealed yourself in a bubble, which is entirely true seven months into sheltering at home, but for many of, us, many of us here, maybe, maybe you're part of the Biola community in some way, and maybe you're a part of a homeschooling community, and maybe for whatever reason, the, the spheres of your life, they are all sort of sealed off from the world, and you don't even know someone who's running hard away from the Lord like this. But chances are that many of you, most of you, know someone in your life who loves being simple or delights in scoffing at God. And I want to ask you, maybe they're your housemates. Maybe they're in the cubicle next to yours. Maybe they're in your family or they live next door to you. Are you pleading with them? Are you praying for them? Does your heart feel a sense of God's grief of how long that leads you to, to, to move toward them? What would be the equivalent of you setting yourself up in the gate of the city where you can't be ignored, where Jesus can't be ignored? Eric pointed me to this little booklet yesterday that was written by the senior pastor of High Desert Church um, up in the, the high desert over here. That's why it's called High Desert Church. <laughs> but this little booklet he wrote is called 8 to 15, The World is Smaller Than You Think. And here's his premise of the book. I love it. He says, on average, I think each of us has 8 to 15 people. I'm not sure where he gets that number. I have to read the booklet. But this is the premise. Eight to 15 people God has supernaturally and strategically placed in our relational world so that he might use us to tell them of his love. And I wonder, did anyone come to your mind as I just read that? If so, I want to urge you to begin praying for them and think strategically. How can you place yourself in the equivalent of the city gate of their life? Engaging with them. I'm so thankful for the example of Ken and Veronica Sansonetti, who this last week, they have placed themselves right at the city gates of one of their neighbors who, who are, have been facing a pretty huge calamity in their life even this week. And they've blessed them and loved them in a way, in such a way that they've set themselves up, engaged themselves in a way to plead. And I love that example. I was humbled by it this week. It, it stirred a desire in me up to, to be more aware of who's around our house and, and, and what are we doing for our neighborhood. So Grace, as we leave this morning, we leave with this incredible promise ringing in our ears. If you're in Christ, you can dwell secure this week. You can be at ease, not dreading disaster, even though some disasters may hit. We're going to sing right now. When all around your soul gives way, he then is all your hope and stay. Let me pray. God, thank you that you don't leave us. You're not heartless toward us in our foolishness. You're not um, cold 
and un uncaring when it comes to our sin, it grieves you. And you long for us to turn. You long to bless us. You long for us to know what a gloriously gracious and good God you are. God, I pray that, that you've used me in this passage this morning to make that known, to, to speak for yourself here this morning. I pray that there wouldn't be a single one of us with, without ears to hear. So Lord, I pray this would bear fruit in, in countless ways here in the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen.